Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joy today, he's the CEO of Freeman Formula, former bodybuilder and bodybuilding champion, speaker, and author. It's Jeremy Freeman. How are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing great, Alex. It's good to be here. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Uh, well, I am from uh, way upstate New York, Lowellville, which is uh, way up almost by Fort Drum in New York. And uh, that's the snow country. So we used to get sometimes three feet of snow overnight and we still would have school the next day. So, um, you know, it really was, uh, you know, that's an area where they're very efficient at removing snow. So, again, I, I, uh, I love the snow when I was younger. I live in Florida now to get away from it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, well, in La- I went to Laval Academy. So that school, I, uh, I was a swimmer initially. I started swimming when I was in seventh grade and uh, a sport that I was very, very good at. And uh, when I was in eighth grade, I, I swam 14 times. I took first place every time. And so they moved me up to the varsity. Um, you know, it, it's funny because when I was in swimming, I never was competing against other competitors. I always look at that big red board that was up on the wall that was for all, you know, that was the regional board for the best, you know, times. And so I was like, I just want to beat some of those times. I want to get on that red board. And so my whole goal was to get on that red board. So in my modified year, I, I got on that red board a number of times before they moved me to varsity. And of course, after varsity, you know, forget about it. But, <laughs> uh, but again, it was a great experience. I think that was really the beginning of me literally just challenging myself and having a goal and going after something that, uh, that you know, pushed me and, and gave me some drive and purpose. And so uh, that was really the start for me. And then, of course, that's where I started bodybuilding as well when I was 15 years old. Um, So that's probably the start for me right there. What drew you to swimming out of all the sports that you could have done? What particularly got you to be like, I want to be a competitive swimmer. I want to be in the pool. You know what? Um, previous to moving to Lava, I lived in Plaska, New York, and they used to, I lived right on the Salmon River. And the Salmon River is a, a river that's got some massive rapids and it's really known for salmon fishing. And I lived right, I mean, literally my house was right on the Salmon River. So I used to literally swim in that river every day. And I used to, when, uh, when, when the fish, when, when, they, when it was fishing season, a lot of the guys would get their, their tackle um, uh, stuck on the bottom. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'll go down there and I'll swim down I mean, literally 10, 15 feet under the water. And I would, you know, swim down and I, I would undo their, you know, and get, get it all unstuck for them. So, you know, I, I used to swim in that river all the time. And one of the things I used to do all the time was I would stand on this side of, of, of the river and then look directly across to the other side and, and try to see if I could swim directly across. Of course, it's impossible because the current always pulls you way downstream. But I was always like, I dive in and swim upstream the whole way to see if I could make it to the other side. And of course, it really depended on how strong the current was that day. And some days, you know, I would I kind of pretend like I was Tarzan or something. You know what I mean? I remember watching the old Tarzan movies, you know, so I, I would I'd pretend like I was Tarzan and, and I'd swim again as strong as I could upstream uh, to try to again meet the, right to the other side. But of course, most of the time I was way downstream. But I think that really kind of helped me become a really strong swimmer so when I went into swimming it was just natural for me because it's something I did like every day so it was was, uh you know because I love swimming so I guess that's that's it (laughs) what was the discipline or the um stroke that you did in swimming my strongest stroke was the butterfly I'm sorry was was the freestyle and uh breaststroke those two 
with swimming in the whip, uh, river and having that current against you, did you ever think about doing like triathlons? Cause that's like in the ocean and stuff like that. Or you're like, I just want to stay in the pool. Like that's all I want. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I, I just, I mean, I love swimming in the river. And of course, uh, you know, upstate New York, there's a lot of lakes and stuff like that. But I usually, I love the, I love the cold water. I don't know what it is. I've always loved <laughs> cold water. It's, I love the shock of jumping into it. And so the river was always cold. And so, um, you know, I just, I loved, uh, you know, just getting in that river every day. And so, you know, and then of course, you know, when I lived in Lowell, there was really no water up there. So it was, not, you know, the pool was, was my next option. So with swimming and bodybuilding, there's, it's maybe similar in fitness where you're making sure diet, fitness, working out is similar and maybe different with swimming. You're not trying to bulk up, but what made you want to transition into the bodybuilding world? Well, I mean, I was a tall pretty thin guy, but I had some muscle on me, a little bit of muscle on me. So, um, and I, because I had a pretty good physique, there was a guy that owned a health food store in my town. Um, his name was John Harrison. And so I went into his place and I, and I, you know, thought oh, I'm going to get some protein powder expecting like, Oh man, protein powder is going to make you so huge, you know? And cause I always wanted to have a little bit of muscle, you know? And so I, uh, I went into his store and he's like, wow, you got a pretty good physique. I mean, I had clothes on, so I'm not sure how he did that. He's like, you got a good physique. He goes, I run a show called the Can-Ams in, in Watertown and you should, you should do the teenage division. I was like, ah, no, I don't know if that's for me, you know, but interestingly, just previous to that, me meeting this guy, I had read uh, a book called the education of a bodybuilder by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I had already been lifting weights. And so that book kind of inspired me a little bit. And so I went back and, he, and I said, you know what? I have no idea what I'm doing, but you know what? I'll try something new, you know? And, and so the show was coming up in, uh, you know, I think it was only a couple months from that time. And so I just started really lifting weights, you know, like I'd never lifted weights before. And, and I did the show. And, you know, I was, I was 15 years old, but I was, I had to enter the 17 and 19 year old division because there was nobody else in 15. So they put me in the, the higher division. So I think there was like nine or 10 guys. And I placed fourth place to my first show. So I was right in the middle. You know, I, I of course, I, 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 there's a lot. The thing I like is I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had to, I just had to like jump in and do it mm-hmm. and overcome the, the fear because, you know, I, I was kind of transitioning from, you know, wearing swimming trunks to posing trunks, you know, so the, yeah. the being, being, you know, used to being having very little clothes on, I was used to that. But again, now you're actually getting up in front of a lot of people and presenting yourself to really be critiqued. I mean, literally, you know, one of our biggest fears as humans is to be judged. And yeah. here you are like right there being judged from all angles. And so I think those, those lessons for you are so great because, you know, you, you start to learn that, you know, listen, everybody's got an opinion everybody's got an opinion, you know, and, and some of them are good, but most of them are not, you know? And so you, you, you start to learn that you have to be indifferent if anybody else is good or bad opinion and know what it is that you want to do and stay steadfast and move toward whatever it is that you want to do, regardless of anybody else's opinion of you or what you're doing. Did your family support you on this passion of getting on stage, performing bodybuilding competitions and things like that? Or was it kind of like, you're worried to not go against what they thought. Interestingly, when I decided not to swim anymore, um, the school, the, 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 my swim coaches, uh, even the principal and the uh, superintendent, they pulled me into the office and said, listen, if you're not going to swim, you're not going to be allowed to use the weight room at the school. So they actually banned me from the weight room because they didn't want me to go do, they didn't want me to do bodybuilding. They wanted me to swim. 
um, that, you know, my, my coach, I think you might have, you know, have Olympic potential. And I didn't care though, because I was, I was, I was actually done with it. You know, I think that probably, um, I had achieved some of my goals that I had in swimming. And, and then, you know, when I did this bodybuilding thing, I was like, you know, what? I, I like this, you know, it, and I could see that there's always going to be an area to improve, mm-hmm. you know, there's always an area to improve. And I, and I, I guess something about that drew me in. Uh, because it's just a never ending process. I think that's how goals are too. I mean, it's a lot of times, you know, we have a goal that we set and we, we want to achieve it, but you know, then you're always going to be on to that next goal. And so when there's always an area to improve, an area to, to grow, um, I just like that concept. And so, you know, for me, uh, bodybuilding was, was something that I think just taught me so many things, you know? And so the transition from, from swimming to bodybuilding, uh, again, it wasn't that hard for me because I was already wearing swim trunks. I was already, you know, you know, bearing all for the most part, you know, I just had to now learn some poses and learn how to present myself, you know, because again, it's, you got, you have to have some body language. You got to have, you know, you got to tell those judges, Hey, I'm here to win because you can see it in your presentation. If you yeah. walk up on stage and your head's down, your shoulders are forward and you're just like, you know, you learn again, so many things that people wouldn't think about in that sport. You know, I'm a speaker now. So of course, you know, having confidence and projecting yourself and presenting yourself, it's key, you know, but those things all started in bodybuilding. So I love that technique because you can take that same technique of confidence and utilize it in any industry when it's like a CEO of a company, if you're in the sales position, marketing and athlete, every single area utilizes that technique. And even the actors, like you can tell if they're not confident on stage or performing, you're going to get worried. Like, did we pick the wrong person? Things like that. So I love how you mentioned that because even in my positions that I've done, I have to go through that same thing, being confident because you want to show that you don't have any mistakes or you don't want to make a mistake at all. Yeah. I think confidence kind of comes with, you know, just doing the thing, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, we all have fears, we all have even insecurities, you know, of not sure if we can do it. But I, I think that, you know, kind of just jumping and, and doing whatever the thing is that you're not sure about, you know, or uncertain about, it, it, it helps build confidence. Confidence, I don't think, is like automatically usually there. It's something that we build upon and, and get better at because we practice something over and over again. You know, and then, you know, after, and then after a while, it becomes almost second nature, something second nature to you, you have the confidence and, and it shows what you do. I mean, if you, you, you talk about an actor and an actor, think about this, you know, they, they have to, uh, you know, they have to convince you that they feel what they're saying. Yeah. And so, but it's a script. So just like with speaking, like I speak all the time. And so, you know, if, if I have a specific script that I have to memorize, Okay, then I have to go over and over and over and over again. The more I do it, the more confident I become in being able to recite it. And in that, that confidence is, is, is shown when it goes from being in your, in your head to now in your heart. Okay, part of your, your just automatic behavior because it goes from being conscious to subconscious because you've done it enough times that you can project from your heart and make it believable. Okay, and have the confidence that comes along with that, but that takes practice. At a young age, starting your bodybuilding journey, did was there any worries that you had about maybe this is too much on my body because I'm not fully there yet and things like that? Or were you taking precautions and not going to the extreme levels? Well, I would have to say I'm an extreme individual. I'm a person that you know, I, I'm a little bit obsessive. So when I do have a specific goal, I feel like, you know, I've definitely learned that the one thing that directs focus is obsession. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm not afraid of it. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think that, you know, people like Michael Jordan or, you know, Tiger Woods or, you know, these people that have really succeeded, they had a level of obsession that drove yep. them toward greatness. And so for me, it was the same thing, uh, just, of course, on a different level. But, uh, you know, again, I was I was somewhat obsessed. And so for bodybuilding, I realized that this is not a sport where you can go and eat pizza and wings on weekends and drink a beer or whatever. You have to live the life, you know. So I had to make sure I was getting my sleep, make sure I was eating proper, clean foods all the time, make sure that I was, you know, training my body part that needed to improve. Because there's always an area to improve. There's always a weakness, you could say, you know. And so you have to kind of look at yourself and assess constantly. So, again, one of the reasons reasons people don't grow is because they don't assess where they have an issue or where they need to grow. And so bodybuilding, is, that's another thing that taught me. I had to assess myself, look at myself to say, okay, what needs to improve? And then I had to work on that. You talked about not eating those great foods like pizza, wings, and beer and all that. But did that take away from your social life? Like was bodybuilding the main focus or did you have a good balance? I, I'm going to tell you the truth. I, I didn't have a good balance. You know, my balance has really kind of come in once I've had my, my, my daughters, I have three daughters. And so, uh, you know, with having kids, you know, and of course my goal not being the same anymore, mm-hmm. um, you know, and not having the obsession that I had with it, I, you know, you, you start having those things. Listen, there was a time where I didn't eat pizza for 10 years. And I look back at that and I said, man, how in the heck did I do that? Because I love pizza. Who doesn't love pizza? <laughs> yeah. And so I think to myself, man, I, I almost have to think, my, I think back, I'm like, man, I'm pretty proud of myself that I was able to do that. But, you know, I think that when you have a purpose and a vision of where you're going and, and it's in your mind, it's so strong in your mind, you literally have the blinders on that pizza becomes a non-issue. Candy becomes a non-issue. All those things that usually are hard to avoid, they become a non-issue. And that's what it was, was for me. I, I, I knew what I wanted and my vision of what I wanted was strong enough that it kept me, you know, on the straight and narrow of what I needed to do to be able to make progress every day. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't regret that I miss any of those things. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying a lot of those things now. Um, I feel like that was what I needed to do at that time. And I knew that, there, that, that my competitors, I knew, who, I knew a lot of them, and I knew what they were doing. So I just knew that I didn't have the best genetics. So in order for me to, 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 to rise above and, and be better, I had to do more. That's it. I just had to do more and, 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 and be more disciplined. That's the bottom line. Be more disciplined, be more consistent. Those things. Well, you talked about not having pizza for 10 years. I've been on like a fitness health journey as for myself. And I've, I haven't, I'm going on one year of not having fast food. Like I love that stuff. And then I just told myself, you don't need it. And kind of as the year has gone by, I'm like, I really have not been craving it at all. And it's kind of like putting your mind to it, being disciplined and telling yourself that you don't have to have it. Like, so it's kind of like 10, if I made it to 10 years, I'd be impressed with myself, but I think I can do it. Like I say, I rise, rise to the challenge basically. Yeah. You know, again, I think it was the purpose, the strong purpose that I had for what I wanted. The goal was strong. And so because of that, it it kind of, it literally kept me in line. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were things that I did have that I wouldn't say are, you know, necessarily healthy, like, like, geez, I used to have dreams about, you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> like, like, I would be like, man, I, I could just, uh, I could just down a gallon of milk and a peanut, you know, a whole loaf of bread with peanut butter and jelly. And, you know, sometimes after a show and after the photo shoots and all those things, that would be my, that'd be my go-to. So if I were cheating, that would be the first thing that I did. And so, you know, and I did that probably more early on in my career because later on in my career, of course, I was literally going from a bodybuilding show to doing guest posings to doing photo shoots for two weeks after the shows. 
And so I had to stay in shape. And so literally that became my job. My job, you know, mm-hmm. it became my that passion initially, but then became my job that I was actually getting paid for. And so when it becomes your, you know, passion to, to job, now you're like, okay, now I'm getting paid for yeah. what I love to do. And so it actually even makes it easier, I think, to be able to kind of stay on track and and not eat all those things. And yeah, so you, you asked the question about my social life. It, you know, I didn't let it really impact that. If we were going to go someplace, everybody already knew, listen, Jeremy's going to do what he wants to do. He, you know, no one's going to, no one was going to question no one's going to say okay no, oh, there goes jeremy again ordering you know fish and rice and broccoli you know because you know or i i would literally go back to the kitchen and i'd be like hey listen i need something special here and there, you know and i mean i was afraid to ask for it. you know some people are afraid to ask for it. i wasn't i was like hey, i want to stay on plan or i would take my food that i already made and take it with me you know so yeah that was uh you know there was a lot of discipline involved a lot of you know consistency for me the whole goal was just, I just needed to be better, a little bit better every day, you know, and, and you hear a lot of people talk about that now, but I'm like, you know, hey, it's, it's a true fact. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, a true example of that is that, you know, listen, how can I be better today? I used to ask myself that, you know, uh, you know, how can I be better today? What do I need to do to be better today? And so, of course, I logged everything. I tracked everything. I knew how much weight I lifted last time when I trained chest or legs and how many reps I did. And so this time I need to do a little bit more weight, a few more reps, and just be better than I was last time. That's it. And so that was my goal always. And, and of course, that little bit of increase, uh, it created a massive outcomes over time. In your career, is there a championship that you've won that kind of sticks out in your mind? Uh, well, turning pro, uh, I, I, I won the North Americans. The North, there's, there's, there's the USA, so there's the Nationals, and then there's the North Americans. Now, North Americans are both Canada the United States and Mexico. So it's, it's a big show. It brings all the competitors from, from all of North America together. And there's only actually one pro card out of literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that give one pro card to the overall winner. And so that's the one I won. Okay. So out of hundreds, if you're the one, you're the only one standing left. Then, then I feel like that's a huge success. Whereas at the nationals, the national gives a pro card away for each individual class you know, in every class and, uh, and USA's, they started doing the same thing, giving it to the top, top three. Uh, but the, but the North Americans, you got one winner. And so that's the, uh, that was my biggest win was the North American championships. That's actually where I got my pro card and uh, that I'd worked for, for a number of years. Sometimes out in the public, there's like negative looks on bodybuilding where it's like, Oh, is it natural? Is it steroids and things like that? Did that ever play in a factor on what you wanted to do and how you prepared for competition? Well, you know, listen, there's, there's no, you know, um, to be at the level I was at, you know, I was a natural bodybuilder for years. I won the teenage natural Mr. America. I was second in the teenage natural universe. Um, I did my first men's division show natural. And so, you know, I'm not hiding anything. I, I did anabolic steroids when I started getting bigger, getting into the game a little bit more. But my schooling, my background was biochemistry, cellular biology, microbiology. So uh, I had a really strong understanding of exactly what I was doing and why I was doing it. Of course, understood that, you know, the more, be- the more is better mentality does not apply here. Uh, whereas with a lot of guys, it did. And that's why they have all this, the side effects and everything else like that. I didn't have any of the side effects because I understood the the, the chemistry of, of it and, and, and just knew that the main thing you needed to do was increase your nitrogen balance, okay? And when you increase nitrogen balance, you increase protein synthesis. Protein synthesis is where your body can create new healthy cells, not just not just muscle cells, but all of your cells. And so I knew I didn't have to do a lot. I had to do a little bit to be able to get that increase. And so... 
Uh, you know, as you grow in bodybuilding and understand how the body works more, of course, the process of actually even putting muscle mass on becomes easier. Mm-hmm. So I teach guys now, I mean, that have never done an anabolic in their life. And, you know, and they, I have them putting on six to 10 pounds of muscle, no joke, in six weeks, just wow. because I understand the full dynamic now of what has to happen to be able to really stimulate uh, and, and grow muscle. And of course, knowing the different types of muscle fibers as well. You know, the one that never gets hit normally is the type 2B fiber. Okay. Which is, it's, it's a big, it's a glycolic fiber that our bodies deplete because we barely use it. We use it under high stress situations. So because we don't use it, we lose it. And so understanding that one concept right there, it's what I attack with my clients to help show them how quickly you can put muscle mass on. I'm a, I'm a guy about speed. I love speed, you know? So I always am looking for ways to find uh, the fastest route from here, from where you are to where you want to go. So one of the programs I run is called Project 42, and it's a transformation program. And it's a goal attainment program. And so what I do is I die, people will come to me with whatever their goal is, and I dissect that goal to find the fastest way to make the most progress in a six-week per period. We take one week to create the program or to, to create the, the plan and, and what the vital work is that you have to focus on. And we dissect what the good work is that you have to stay away from because good is the enemy of vital. And your busy work that, again, we have to kind of pass off into some else for these next six weeks at least so that you're focused on the vital work that's going to really propel you forward so that's what i do i show people how to go from where they are to where they want to be in the quickest period of time um we actually have a we're just we're just doing a, a speaker's summit um which is uh again showing people how to become uh impact speakers and expert speakers uh even if they're intermediate or beginner there's so many elements to it. So we have like, it's like a boot camp. It's a four day event where we literally go through, we show them how to, to flush out their story. We show them how to, uh, you know, we have by the end of the, by the end of the four days, they're up on stage presenting their story. We're getting videotape of it so they can put it on their site. So literally take them from beginner to literally like you think that they're an expert. And we used to do this in bodybuilding too. I used to take people that are in bodybuilding that had never competed before to literally winning their first show. Because when you're standing on stage, the judges don't know if it's your first show or if it's your, if it's your hundredth show. They don't know that and they really don't care. So essentially we like to show people how to be the absolute best the very first time they step on stage, the very, you know, whether it's in bodybuilding or fitness or physique or on the stage for speaking. Because again, it's presentation, it's, it's body language, it's, it's confidence, and it's helping instill all those things into somebody by telling the story in a way that moves the room and letting them know that you're the one that's in control of the energy. And this is how you're going to be able to manipulate that room to be able to uh, have everybody listening, holding on every word that you're saying. And so that's what we do. We teach these people like, you know, how to really become expert speakers. And that's rewarding for me because again, it's, it's again, showing you how to get from where you are to where you want to be I mean, from the website development to, I mean, all, every aspect you can think of, we do it. And I don't think there's anybody else out there that does that because most of the time you're like, Hey, buy this program and keep learn how to tell your story. We do it with our people. We literally, we go through and flush it out so that they know the ups, the downs, and everything that you have to do within that story. And then we help them present it. And then we videotape them presenting it. And we take new pictures of it. But then we have people that are there watching do the testimonials. You know, so now they have all these things that they need to present themselves as a speaker and get out there and do what is it that they really want to do. Because so many people have a message inside of them. I mean, you're doing this podcast right here because there's something that you want to tell the world. There's something that you want to give the world. There's value that you have inside of you that you want to present to the world. 
And so I think a lot of us have that same thing. And of course, you know, the way that we present it to the world is a lot of times how we communicate. So it's a, it's a course in pure communication. I love that because I think a lot of these programs out there, they kind of just tell you how to do it, but you're actually getting into the deep. It's a boot camp. We do the work. I mean, literally, yeah. that's when we only can, we only take 20 people because we, because it's literally, it's hands on. You leave our, our, you leave our events with, with so much value, with so much learning, with so much information. And again, you're, we go through and, and flush out the site. We, you know, try to, to eliminate the confusion because a lot of times people try to tell, tell people everything that they do. And, you know, instead of, you know, it, and you listen, when you confuse them, you lose them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you, you really got to, you know, compel them. You got to compel them to sell them. You know, so essentially you got to be able to, you know, here's what I do. Here's how I do it. And here's why you should hire me. I mean, if you go to my speaking page, it's, it's jeremyfreeman.com. Uh, it's different than my Freeman formula page. My Freeman formula page page is my, is my, is my business page, which can confuse you because we do so many things. <laughs> no, I mean, I have my, I have a speaking page on that one, but I have our programs like project 42. I have all of our products on there. There's a lot that we do. So that holds all of that. But then if you go to my speaking page, which is jeremyfreeman.com, Jeremy with an A, J-E-R-A-M-Y, uh, you know, freeman.com, that is just shows you exactly what I do and what I'm about. It shows, you know, uh, different, you know, segments of me speaking on stage, podcasts that I've done. Uh, and again, if you go to the about page, then you can go and see all the different things I've done, you know, as far as like, you know, being the most photographed bodybuilder in the world uh, for two years, uh, you know, being a professional in three sports, uh, you know, owning well-rounded health and fitness, Freeman formula, product line. I mean, all those different things are there. But again, uh, you know, we, you know, what I do is I show them how to really be impactful, how to create value, you know, understanding what problem are you solving? Some of them never even thought of that, you know? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So listen, no one's going to pay you more than two, you know, if you want to get paid $2,000, then yeah, go ahead and tell your story and, you know, and, and that'll inspire somebody. I said, but if you want to get paid big money, you know, like $25,000, $30,000, like I've gotten paid from a lot of these big companies that have the money, that have a budget for it. Uh, you know, in corporate America, then you have to bring value. And so you have to know what problem you're solving to be able to bring it to them. And so that's worth their while. And so we go through all those things. Again, I don't want to get into a tangent on that. (laughs) I love that part because I feel like people, we all have something in us. And I didn't realize that. I always just kind of thought that was me. But then as we start, we're running these programs for Project 42, which is essentially was a, a, a transformation program, showing somebody how to lose 42 plus pounds in 42 days and getting in shape and losing weight and changing your mindset, you know, and, and then, you know, when we were showing them how to make these massive changes, we said, well, we should probably open this up for just goal attainment. And so, I mean, literally with our first one of doing that, we had, I think three people that wanted to write a book. And so, and since that time, we've had uh, so many people that I realized, man, everybody wants to seem to want to want to want to write a book. But then, also in business, I've realized how many people need to, uh, you know, become better speakers and become better leaders. And so, we have leadership programs, you know, everything like that. So, essentially, it's 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 all it's all you know the way the thing it comes down to is it comes down to communication. It comes down to communication. And we're in a world where communication is, is is a little rough and it needs a lot of work. And of course, communication is a daily practice with whatever we're doing. And so it's just helping somebody understand that, listen, the better communicator you are, the better you're going to be able to have uh, things go your way. Because a lot of times what's happening is your body language is telling something different than what you're saying, you know, and what you're trying to, uh, you know, put out to the world is not being projected properly. So you're, you're getting the result, you know, you're, you're not getting the result that you want, you know, so 
it's essentially showing somebody how to get the results they want. <laughs> in the bodybuilding industry or the fitness industry, was making money a concern for you or the path that you were taking, it didn't matter because you were doing what you loved? That's a great question. I was really in bodybuilding during a great time. Okay, because when I was in it, they were actually paying really good contracts. And so I was with a company called Muscle Tech Research and Development. Uh, I was actually initially with a company called Worldwide Sport Nutrition. And then after that with uh, Muscle Tech. And so they were paying really well, the athletes, for, a, for I was with them for 10 years as one of their longest running athletes. And so um, not only did I get paid, you know, in product every month, I got about $1,000 for the product, but I got a great paycheck, you know, uh, every month. And plus, I only had to do three appearances. Well, after, after I did my three appearances, I would get paid $2,500 for every extra appearance that I did. So, of course, I was like, get, sign me up. Any appearance you got, I'll do it. You know what I mean? And at one time, when they had the GNC openings, I was, uh, I was the guy that would go in and do all the GNC openings. So again, what you do at GNC opening is you go and you just, you know, sign pictures and you talk about the products and, and stuff like that. And so, because I wanted that job and there's a lot of other bodybuilders out there that were even better bodybuilders than me that were with muscle tech. Uh, you know, I, I knew that, Hey, bodybuilders are prima donnas. A lot of them are, they're like, you know, Hey, I'm a big shot. I want to go first class, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I need, I need to be pampered and, you know, I need the best hotels. Well, I plugged in what I call the value equation, you know, okay, what's the outcome? You know, what do you guys want? Well, we want to sell muscle tech product and GNC because that's, we're doing an alliance with that. Okay. So you got to sell product number one. Okay. Um, and then I knew that these guys were going to, you know, want somebody to book all the highest. And I said, listen, you don't have to do anything except for give me an address, give me the address, what city it's in and give me the address. I'll get there the cheapest way possible. I'll pay for it out of my pocket and I'll expense you later. Okay. And I guarantee you it'll be cheaper than anything that you guys find. Okay. Not only that, I guarantee you, I will sell more product than any other competitor or any other bodybuilder that you have. Okay. That, 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 uh, that, that goes to events. I'll sell more guaranteed. And so I was only booked to go there for two hours, but I would, my, my flight back home or my, or my drive back home was for, I wouldn't leave, I would, I'd be there for four or five hours and I try to sell as much muscle tech product as possible. So I did that one time knowing that I wanted to get all those, those, those events and I, uh, and then I went back to them and said, my God, Jeremy, nobody sell, ever sold this much product. I'm like, listen, just book me. I said, don't, don't, don't hire anybody else. Cause there's a ton of guys that could hire. I said, don't hire anybody else. I said, I will sell more product unequivocally than anybody else. I'll stay longer. I'll get there cheaper and, and it'll have more of an impact guaranteed. And, and I'll be the best value you can get. There's no hands down. They didn't take anybody else on. I, I, I was doing one on Wednesdays. And, and Saturdays, I, so I was traveling Boston, you know, Dallas, Miami, uh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, uh, Arizona, Phoenix. I mean, so again, I was, it was, it was, I was going from one place to the next. So I was making about five grand a week just from, you know, doing those appearances, but I had to prove to them that I could create, I could, I could add more value than anybody else that was out there. And so I just did it the first time. And then I was able to secure every single one of those. So I use that, that, you know, I have a value equation that I use that I, that I teach people too to how to be able to get that job, how to be able to, you know, uh, really present yourself so that they can't say no, you know? Did you like being that kind of public figure where you're doing the autographs and signings? Like, did you expect when you were younger, like, this is going to be my life? It's interesting because I didn't ever think that initially. And it's funny because my first, my very first bodybuilding show when I was 15 years old, that Can-Am show I told you about, 
there was a pro bodybuilder that was at that show because they usually sometimes bring pro bodybuilders into these shows to kind of pull other, you know, people, people in to see these guys. And, and I, and this guy, Danny Padilla was, uh, they call him the giant killer was at this event. And so my mom was like, Oh, you, you know, you want to be a bodybuilder. She went down and get his autograph. And I was like, ah, no, I don't really want to get his autograph. And she's like, just go down there. You know, he, you know, he's, he, that's what you want to be is a pro bodybuilder. So you should go. And so I, I'll go down get his autograph to get his autograph. And, and I didn't, I didn't, I never had gotten an autograph ever before in my life at that point. So there's these little scrap pieces of paper on the judging tables. And so I just, you know, grabbed one of those scrap pieces of paper for him to sign it. And he goes, he goes, you can't use that. What are you effing stupid? Oh, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I put a piece of paper down and I just turned around and said, I didn't really want your autograph anyways. And I turned around and walked away. But that feeling that you have when you're, you know, 15 years old and, you know, this big, huge guy is like, you know, talks to you condescendingly. And you're I just like, oh, wow. You know what? If I become pro or when I become pro, I'll never treat anybody like that. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, I think we really learn sometimes from these negative experiences that we have. Sometimes we learn more from them than we do from a positive ones, because that impact that I had from that event, uh, from that small event, um, I always made sure I went out of my way to be, uh, you know, just above and beyond. I was always, I'm always that person anyways, but listen, I would be at the booth signing autographs and I'd have five other guys in the muscle tech booth that are, you know, here sitting next to me, you know, that were all of muscle tech. And I would see if somebody, you know, down the line getting an autograph from let's say Aaron Madrid and, and, uh, and I'd say, Oh, I know that guy. I've gotten, I've given him an autograph before. I, I've seen him maybe at the New York show or something. So I, I would literally just get up real, you know, quietly go back behind Aaron and, and see, Oh, oh his name's Scott. Okay. Same Scott. So come back, sit down on my seat. And then when he come up to me, I'm like, Oh, Scott, how you doing, man? And he's like, Oh my God, you remember my name? I'm like, yeah. Did I see you in New York? He's like, Oh my God, I, I can't believe you remember me. But I did that kind of stuff all the time. If I recognize somebody's face, so I knew I recognize their face, but not always their name. I'd always try to see if I could get their name. So I, you know, use their name and talk to them, you know, uh, you know, using their name. And then, of course, after a while, I, I did know their names. And when I saw them at these events, they're like, oh, my, they always come see me because I always remembered them. And so I think, you know, again, that may stem not entirely from that one, that one incident, but I always took the time. I always talked to them. I always make them feel, feel, you know, seen, heard, and acknowledged, you know? And so, uh, you know, and that, and I was the most requested athlete at the muscle tech booth, even above and beyond the top Olympians, wow. top guys, you know? And so and I was not that I was just, you know, a popular bodybuilder, you know, I was in a lot of magazines. I was, I was actually the most photographed bodybuilder in the world for two years. And so I was a lot, I mean, it was over a thousand magazines over the course of my career. So, you know, uh, those experiences, you know, those small experiences, I think they changed you as a person and they, and, and I think that really helped me. So, so thank you, Danny Padilla. I've never said that before, uh, for that lesson, you know, <laughs> so I want to move forward to an opportunity that you got and, let's say barbell mafia might bring a bell to you. <laughs> you got an opportunity to be on extreme dodgeball based off of the hit movie that came out. How did that opportunity come about for you? Oh my God. I've never actually been asked this question. It's so funny. Um, well, I, I was in gold's gym and I, I ran my business out of Syracuse, New York and gold's gym Venice uh, for about three years. And so one day I was in the gym and this lady comes up to me and she says, Hey, uh, we have this new show coming out called, extreme dodgeball and it's going to be in a, a, a pro dodgeball league that we're going to put together and we're we have themes you know like we have the sumo storm which is the you know these big heavy yep. guys we have the you know the barbell mafia which is going to be all bodybuilders and so again it was all themed 
And she was, we, you know, you, you'd be perfect for this. I'm like, no, not interested. <laughs> not interested. And so, you know, probably a few days goes by and she comes back into the golds and she sees me again. And she's like, ah, oh, please listen, if you just try out for it, that would be great. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, no, you know, I really have no interest whatsoever to do this. And uh, so please, no, no, I'm not doing it. And then, I don't know, a few more days goes by and she pops up again in the gym and she's like, I'm, she was, listen, you know, our, our, our producers, you know, had a meeting and when they're explaining who they're looking for, for this event, for this, for the show, I mean, you are what they, 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 they describe perfectly. And so like, please, can you just try out for this thing? I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not doing anything later. I, I can come down because they're, they're doing auditions that day. And so I said, okay, I'll come over, go ahead and go over to Burbank. And, uh, and so I went and, it's crazy because, you know, I was in bodybuilding. I hadn't thrown, I, I, I teach athletes how to, you know, be better athletes all the time, but I had not thrown a ball, physically thrown mm-hmm. a ball. I don't know how many years. And so what they have me do at the audition is they have you go into this big room that has this gigantic uh, uh, target on the wall, big, like, like, like target from target, you know I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, the big red target and you know the bullseye right in the center that's probably it's big it's like this big around but you have a spot that's at probably 20 feet you know in, in, with a x on the floor one back here over here with 30 feet and one way back here at like probably 40 feet okay so you got and what you had to do is you had to pick up the the, the dodgeball and throw it from from the first space two times retrieve the ball you know throw it, retrieve it, throw it, retrieve it, and move quickly to the next one, do it two times, two times. So you throw the ball six times. You try to have to try to hit the bullseye. So I go into the room before anybody even gets there. And I pick up the dodgeball, which you got to have them throw a ball, ball in years. I'm, I'm probably, I'm at the first X, you know, in the middle, and, and, uh, and I throw the ball. I don't even come close <laughs> to hitting the, 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 the bullseye. I'm like, oh God, that was horrible. You know, so I pick it up again and I throw it again and I don't hit it again. And Alex, I'm telling you, man, I threw that ball, I'm not kidding you, probably 10 times. And all of a sudden, I just start getting really anxious. Like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I should not even came down here. I should, I, I, I'm not, I do not belong here. I can't even hit this bullseye. I'm going to embarrass myself. I mean, all these things come, start flooding through my mind. I can feel my ears are hot. I'm like, I got to get out of here. You know, is there a way, is there a side door I can, sh- you know, sh- shimmy out? And I start walking actually toward the door to leave. And then all, everybody, everybody starts coming in. So, you know, they had the camera crew that's over on the other side. Everybody starts coming in. I was in that room by myself. And bombing. I mean, literally, like, I never hit that bullseye one time. And so as I was walking back and they came in, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and, and I just said, you know what? I mean, I, I train athletes all the time. I just, I just need, to, I need to get out of this, this crazy, you know, headspace that I'm in and this, this doubt and this fear and anxiety that I was experiencing. And I had to kind of, you know, go back to neutral and just, you know, and just breathe slow, you know, just breathe slow, calm down you know, you can do this. And I had to have this mental conversation with myself. And that's what I did. I talked myself into said, okay, you can do this. And I'm telling you what, Alex, as soon as I flip my mindset, and again, just, you know, it's like the old saying, if you think you can, you can, if you think you can't, you can't, you know, I was so strong that I thought that I can't, that I just couldn't. And then I flipped my mindset and said, okay, I can do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it look easy. That's one of my, my mantras. I always said, make it look easy. That's one of my, so, so I, I had to tell myself, make it look and so I, I pick the ball up, and they turn the cameras on, and I literally threw the ball first first time, boom, dead on bullseye. Retrieve it, boom, hit it again. And so from each space, no joke, two times here, hit the bullseye dead on, two times here, bullseye dead on, two times here, bullseye dead on. 
every single time. Like you would have thought I've been playing dodgeball for years. Okay. And so I literally had to actually go out into my car afterwards and just sat there thinking, man, I can't believe that I just did that. How did I go from like not being able to even hit it to literally hitting it dead on every time? And, and you know, and that was a, 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 a big turning point for me too, realizing how strong our mindset really is and how, you know, the way we think and how we think it dictates what happens in our body and it dictates our confidence and our ability to perform. And so that was a, a big trigger for me as well. So, so again, it's, it's always hard to get a short story out of me, but uh, you know, so anyways, from there, they had us go into this big, huge room with like, I don't know how many players, hundred players, you know, 50 on one side, 50 on the other side, it was just like one big, huge dodgeball game. And I kind of just stood back. I didn't do much. I was trying to like, just not get hit by a ball. And interestingly, uh, just trying to stay out of the way, um, it ends up coming down to me and one other guy that actually, uh, his name was Diesel Grimes, who actually was on my team uh, later on. And so we're, it comes down to two people out of hundreds and he throws the ball. I catch it. Boom. I'm the last man standing. And I don't know how that ever happened either, because again, it was just, you know, I don't know, but, but again, so I kept passing all of the, the tests that they were putting in, in, in place. And so then the next thing was putting the teams together and then going and playing your first game against other teams. And so again, because I had never actually played dodgeball, I had to go and like learn all the rules. And I'm sitting there watching the all pre the pre games and, and seeing the strategy of how they did it. And, and so what I did once I got there is I, I had been there for an hour already before the rest of the team gets there. And I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Okay. The fastest guy's got to run in and throw the balls back out to some of us, whoever can shoot the best outside of the circle. And we got to peg one person, both, you know, find out who the best players and peg that person first. So I'm directing the whole team, not knowing that the cameras are on and they're looking for who's going to be the leader of the team, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I became the, the, the leader uh, for the first season of the Barbell Mafia. Because, and again, I tell you what, I couldn't even throw the ball initially. So we ended up, we ended up uh, taking second place to the CPA, the Certified Public Assassins, uh, in the overall. So we, we, we gained pro status in dodgeball uh, because the top two teams get the pro status. And, of course, that whole, that whole element, you know, ended up expanding na- nationwide into a big thing. There's pro dodgeball now. So I was one of the first pro dodgeball uh, teams. Yeah. Did you ever trademark? the nickname that you're given the mountain well the mountain actually came from before that because they were calling me that in the magazines uh like like uh like my bodybuilding nickname was jeremy the mountain freeman <laughs> so you know I'm, I'm six foot one most bodybuilders are you know five eight five nine you know and so i was a tall bodybuilder and i had broad shoulders so they just used to call me the mountain i was about 300 pounds you know so they call me jeremy the mountain freeman so that just kind of stuck you know with my my dodgeball. I, I, I had uh, turned pro a couple of years pri- prior to, to that. So, you know, I was, uh, I was actually at that point thinking I'm, I might not compete anymore. So I guess you're only, you know, I, I tried that and it was fun. So I did it for two seasons. With season two, you guys kind of went the complete opposite. <laughs> so you kind of went from second place to at the bottom. Was it kind of like a different kind of different people? Because if you look yeah. at the first group of teams, you had the the stallion, the jockey riders to the sumos, yeah. and yeah. then the second season it was kind of more balanced teams in a way. It was, you know, our team didn't, you know, our first year team we kind of all came together, and we kind of I, I think we were, were we were there to win, and we worked together to win. Mm-hmm. The second season, you know, we had certain people that were just in their own world, did not care about anything else. 
Uh, and, you know, there's actually two girls that were just like, literally, they, they, it was all about them. And it just, it, the dynamic did not work. And so it just, it was, you know, it was a rough season. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, when you start off strong, it's fun to be able, it's, it's fun to continue to go strong and finish strong, you know, but when you start off weak and then you're always playing catch up, it's like, you know, yeah. if you're playing the offense, you're always, you know, you're moving forward and on your toes. When you're playing defense, you're back on your heels and you're trying to, you know, not fall over, you know, and that's where we were. We were playing defense all freaking time. <laughs> did you want to play in that season three or did you just think I did my two seasons and I'm good to go? Yeah, no, I, I did not. I, I was I was even questioning season two, truthfully, because I always traveled back and forth to California and I wasn't actually scheduled to be in California during the shooting of that. But they kept calling me. And I was like, OK, I'll, I'll go back. I'll do it. And so I, I just rearranged my schedule and was there for that. And then I got all the work done while I was there. So so, you know, I, I made it happen. But I knew that that was going to be enough for me. <laughs> I will say when that show came on, it was such a hit with people. And I think people just loved it because it was like a childhood game. And then all yeah. of a sudden I had like this itch and I'm like, do they even show this show anymore? Now they have every episode on YouTube that people. Oh yeah, dude, I didn't know that. That's okay. Yes, cool. I think the people that post it, one was from the CPA, one was from season three, but there's like all the episodes, so it's like wow, people enjoy it, and you just see the comments that people like remember watching it. I do have to ask: one of your stats said you were 1987 New York City putt putt champion. Was that true or not true? That was actually 2003, I think, maybe. So, yeah, I think it was 2000. You were a Popeye champion. I was, yeah, I turned pro in Popeye. Wow. Yeah, so for me, Papa was. I, I went to this 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 tournament thing that was going on. I was going to play with my friend, and there was a tournament going on at the at the at the place that we went to, and that we couldn't get in. And so I was like, "What is this?" And they're like, "Oh, it's, we, have a, we have a pro Papa champion here today. That and, and we have this this tournament." I'm like, "Wow, okay." I'm like, "There's pro Papa," and they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Oh my god, I've never even heard of it before." And so I, I was just kind of intrigued by that. And so I see the guy who was the pro Papa player and. And he, um, and I said, how long did it take you to turn pro? And he says, 13 years. I'm like, what? Wow. And he had taken me, you know, right around 15 years to turn pro as a bodybuilder. So I'm thinking to myself, how in the heck, you know, 13 years is crazy. And so I didn't, I knew nothing about it. So I literally could not get it out of my head. So I literally started looking it up and seeing, you know, how do you turn pro? And what, what do you have to, you know, what, what's, what's the regional events? What's the state level events? What do you have to do to turn pro? And so, you know, back then I had been teaching a template for goal attainment that I taught my talk to my, my clients over and over again. And it's it's really simple. It's a seven seven peer uh, you know pillar pillar uh, program. It's, it's, it starts out with purpose. Purpose drives everything. So purpose creates purpose driven behavior. That's the second pillar. Third one is having commitment and responsibility. Uh, the fourth one is having relentless action. The fifth one is having an indomitable spirit, never give up attitude, finding a way over, around, under, no matter what it is to move forward. The next one is maintaining momentum. Maintaining momentum is essentially when you've done something enough times over and over and over again that it becomes second nature to you. And that's what creates empowerment and transformation. So that's the pillars. And so because I plugged in so many times and all the goals that I had, I said, well, let me see if I can, you know, and I always talk about the magic wand vision of where you want to be. What is that big vision you want to be? You know, you know build that and that can help, you know, inspire you or empower you to do the things you need to do that you sometimes don't want to do, you know? Yep. And so I just said to myself, hey, do you do I see myself as a pro, you know, pup-up golfer? And I was like, 
Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and my wife was like, what are you doing, Jeremy? You know, you just turned pro in bodybuilding and now you're going to try to do this. And I mean, and again, it's, it, it's like clicking a level of obsession. So I was out there playing putt-putt golf literally like five, six hours a day, if not more. And then I found out what events I had to go to to be able to go to the next level. And, and that's what I did. I just played putt-putt. I would go to the, where the tournament was. I'd play on that course over and over and over and over again because you have to understand how the game works. So, you know, the angle of incident has to equal the angle of refraction. You can't go directly at the hole because in order to win, you have to have a, a hole-in-one almost every single time. That's mm-hmm. The winners are, are, are getting holes in one almost every time. So I, I, would, I, I got obsessed with it. <laughs> and so and I plugged that, that template into it you know, fully. And I wanted to see how quickly I would take me to turn pro in pop up golf. And I, it only took me one season. So it took me one season to be able to do that. I never played, you know, after I won that tournament too, I didn't play pop again for three or four years. I never even applied for my card or anything. I just wanted to prove that I could do it, you know? And because I was, because this guy who was so enthralled with pop it took him 13 years I thought to myself, I know there's a faster way. So like I said before, I love speed. So if I'm here and I want to be here, I want to find the fastest way possible. So I want to prove myself that I can do that. So I did it in one season. Yeah. I, think I, I love that because I think when people saw that, they're like, really? And then, but it just shows that anyone can do anything. A bodybuilder playing putt-putt may not sound like they go together, but no. it goes together because if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. I loved it. It was, it was, it was a fun challenge for me. My wife didn't love it. <laughs> she was like, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to be in Albany this week. Like, what do you mean you're going to be in Albany? I said, well, I got a tournament. It's going to be there. And I got to, I got to make sure I got this course down, you know? And so she was like, Oh my God, Jeremy, come on. You know? So it, again, it's, it, it does, it's a little bit of, you know, again, I, I don't think you're going to move the needle on anything unless you do get a little bit obsessed. You know what I mean? And so, you know, and we don't have to be obsessed all the time, but we do have to sometimes if we want to really make, progress and change i think it, it's healthy to go there sometimes because you realize there's more things are possible yep. you know so many people are out there trying to achieve goals and just kind of dipping their toe in the water but never jumping in and they don't they don't achieve anything and, that, and nothing gets done that way so then they stop trying i think that that i've seen that so many times with thousands of people that i've worked with so that's why I like a program like project 42 is it's a it's a program about complete commitment and dedication to make major change you can't even get in that program unless you can express to me that you really want to achieve this thing and then i'll help you develop the plan to get there but if you're half half in half out then you're not in we won't even let you sign up we've had people come in and get, try to give us fifteen hundred dollars in the program but they're telling me well you know i i want to do this but i'm gonna you know i have a, my birthday coming up i'm gonna have cake and i'm gonna drink i, I love my coffee and drink my coffee in the morning and i you know i have my go with my friends on weekends and drink alcohol I'm like well, this program's not for you you know yeah. listen you can have your cake birthday cake next birthday you can have your alcohol after this program but if you're in this program then that's not part of the program. So again, I, you know, if, if that seems too too strict for you, then don't do it. You know. So again, it, you know, and just teaching people that we have to be committed because we're in a world of a lack of commitment, and we're even and we're we're in a world where you know again we 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 learn not to take responsibility from kids. I mean, when we're kids, we don't want to get in trouble. So if something happened, we're like, I didn't do it, even if we did yeah. do it. Listen, I have identical twin girls, and so you know, if one did something wrong, they're blaming the other one. Yeah. When we're kids, we blame somebody else and we get, we don't grow out of it. We become experts at it. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah. During your career, you talked about your wife and she wasn't happy about the putt putt stuff, but in anything you did or any projects you took on, were you worried that maybe you, you didn't have that support or they trusted you that you're making the right decision for the family? 
Uh, luckily at that time, I didn't have kids, you know, because again, I probably, my, my obsession may not have gone as strong in the way that it did. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I think any sacrifice that you make, you know, when you're, you know, you, you got to know what you're going to give and you have to know what you're going to give up. Yep. And so I wouldn't go to family reunions because I knew that all, you know, my, my grandmother used to make all the berry pies and all these different things. And, and it wasn't that I couldn't overcome, you know, not eating them. It's just that they were so persistent as like, she'd say, Jeremy, I made this pie for you. And I said, grandma, I told you not to make me anything because you know, I have a show coming up and I can't do it, but they don't understand. They can't comprehend almost like I did this for you. And now it's rude for you not to have it. You know what I mean? So I would avoid you know, going to those things. And so, you know, there's, there, there in any, uh, you know, goal that you have, you're, you're always giving something up. And so, yep. you know, you, you have to be able to give your time, your energy, your money, your effort, you know, all those things. But again, you got to say, what am I going to give up to, you know, and when you define what those things are, it becomes easier to be able to know what the next step is, you know, some people don't define it and then they're, you know, they're all over the place and then they don't get anywhere. So defining what it is you're going to give and deciding what you're going to give up, it makes the whole process easier. Your journey now with fitness, do you still have that fun passion for it like you did during your bodybuilding career when you first started? Is it still the same fun that you get out of it? Or do you challenge yourself differently now with the obstacles that you face? Yeah, what a great question. Um, No, I am not uh, as passionate about it now as it was. It is, again, part of what just what I do. Mm -hmm. And I do enjoy it. And if I don't do it, I feel like something's missing. But, you know, in a world right now where I think with so many people, they get up in, the, in their day and they, you know, it's a it's perfect time to meditate and to get into that theta state and all those things. Listen, I do those things. But for me, <clears throat> I've always said, listen, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And if you do that, you're going to be able to handle just about any situation. So when I get out of bed in the morning, I don't meditate right then. What I do is I get on my rower and I'll try to, I'll try to row 500 meters in about a minute. 15 seconds, minute 17 seconds, you know, minute 20 seconds in that area. I mean, literally going all out to the point where you feel like you're going to pass out or throw up. I mean, you're using your whole body pushing so hard that you, you know, literally have that angel and devil on one shoulder and the other saying, you just, you need to stop because your heart's going to blow out. You know, you can't breathe. You feel like you're going to pass out. You start feeling all those things, but that's what I do. I get up out of bed and I, and I, and I get uncomfortable. First thing, first thing I do is go get as uncomfortable as I can. And then I contain myself, catch my breath, try to relax. Uh, and then I get on what I call, it's called a vibra cork and it vibrates, wakes up, wakes up. Wakes up. <laughs> and I, and, and that's where I start to, you know, slow everything down and meditate a little bit and, and uh, or, or do my workout. And then I, I, after that, I'll kind of relax, meditate. And I write, I write every single day. So every day, one of my practices is to write. And, uh, and it could be a number of different things, no matter what it is. And so I, I'll usually, I, I send messages to my, to my clients. And I also do like a thought of the day that I'll just like think of different ideas and write them down. And, you know, so just different things like that. But yeah, that's how, how I start my day. I start my day getting uncomfortable. And then I will, you know, go back to trying to get into that data state. The thing about it is I feel like you, I get deeper into a creative state after doing that. You know, because sometimes when I go from getting up and I've gone trying to go into like a meditation, I get more tired so I fall back to sleep even. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This way, I, I literally get my blood flowing. I get the oxygen flowing. 
and, and the carbon dioxide, which has to you know kind of work its way out too, you know, because you, you know carbon dioxide causes your ears to pop, you start yawning, yeah. you feel like you, you know you're dizzy, nauseous, all those things. I have actually passed out before too. I actually have pushed so hard that I I go to get up off the road like whoa, bam, I'm out cold, and my wife really hates that. But you know, I, sometimes when you come up out of being passed out, your body has had to produce an awful lot of chemicals to bring you back to to life. And man, you feel like you're euphoric. So I, I push toward that. <laughs> For anyone that's listening, you definitely need to go to his Instagram because I love your thoughts of the days. I mean, those kind of quotes or messages, I always try to take them and utilize them in my life because I think those are the things that I enjoy. Different point of views, something that anyone can adapt and relate to. When you're thinking about creating that content, do you always have a theme or is it whatever comes to your mind or something that you're wanting to accomplish for that day? Well, I'm really big on productivity because again, we're in a world with, where you know, we're constantly distracted. So I know that in this world of distraction, it's hard to be able to focus on the things that you need to focus on to make progress. You know, I mean, if you look at the, the you know, statistics of absenteeism within work, the workplace, the amount of money that's being lost in the workplace because of these things. So for me, I, I really am all about focus, productivity, and how to be able to do those things. So you'll notice a lot of those things have to do with your, you know, increasing your productivity, you know, knowing what your priority is, uh, you, know, pr- you know, pruning and, and budding, budding and pruning and all these, I mean, there's all these different things. So again, uh, you know, I always say that, you know, there's all, every day is an opportunity. It's an opportunity mm-hmm. for growth and improvement. And so, you know, we got to make every day count. That's why I always end it with make today count because, uh, you know, we, we have this one life and, you know, uh, and we're going to, you know, have challenges that we face. But the bottom line is we can wake up each day and ask ourselves, who am I going to be today? And am I going to be better today than I was yesterday? Yep. And so I just create thoughts of the day that just, you know, might have to do it. I'll, I'll go through some of my old notes, say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing that I've seen right there. Let me just, you know, put that into a quick thought of the day. And sometimes they're real simple. Sometimes they're a little bit longer. Sometimes it's just to help make you think of something like, oh, yeah, that, that's a good idea, you know. And, I, you know, one of the reasons I, I, I've been doing messages for years and years and years. I, I made, you know, 42 of them for Project 42. I've done 100 of them for another program. I've done literally thousands over the years. You know, if you go to my old Facebook, you go way back to my Facebook, I used to just get on there like a party in the morning, just like talk to my people, you know? And so I've done a tons and tons of messages. It's literally just off the top of my head usually. Uh, thoughts of the day, though, I usually write them out. And then, you know, so I know what I'm going to talk about. And I'll do like three or four or five of them at a time. And then I, just my, my daughter puts them out. I don't usually even get on social media that much. She gets on there and, and does it for me. So, yes, there is themes that I will kind of think about that have to do with maybe some, something I wrote previously, or also I'll just see something, you know, like I, I, I like to listen to Darren Hardy or, uh, you know, different people that are out there in the, in the personal development community and, and they'll, they'll say something. I'm like, Oh, I love that. So I'll just write it down and say, okay, I'll, like, like the one I, I think the one I put out tomorrow is actually by Darren Hardy. So I'll always mention, Hey, this is from, you know, Gary Blair or from whoever, you know what I mean? Maya Angelo or Martin Luther King, whoever, you know, so again, this mm-hmm. comes from that person. So, you know, there's a lot of great ideas out there. There's a lot of inspiration out there. We just have to, have to grab on that inspiration and, and apply it to our lives, you know? And I think those messages are important for a lot of people because, you know, one yep. of the things that impacted me as a young kid, my parents were very Christian. And so, you know, I went to a Christian church and my dad used to make us read Proverbs. Uh, there's 31 Proverbs. And so we used to read, you know, on the first we read number one, two, three, four, every, so every month we were reading you know, going through whatever the day of the, day of the month it was and reading that proverb. And I hated it. I hated it initially. 
I was like, oh my God, you know, I got to sit here through listening to this. I wouldn't even listen. I'd just be thinking of everything else except for listening to what was being read. And then after a while, you know, three, four months into it, then I started kind of just listening a little bit, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then, and then maybe another month goes by and I'm like, you know what, maybe I should apply that to my day to day. And so it did take a long time for that to sink in for me. But after a while, I couldn't wait for my problem of the day because now I was finally listening and implementing. And so I think we, in life, you know, I, these lessons you learn, you know, you realize, you look back and like, man, that's kind of how we are in life. We always say, oh, yeah, I already, know that. I already know that. And we dismiss it, you know. And so for me, I didn't even want to know that. I didn't care, you know, until I, until I wanted to know. And then I started listening and I started to hear whatever that proverb was like, oh, that's good. I'm going to implement that in my day today. And it just gave me something to implement into my day that day. And, you know, it's interesting because the next month will come around and I would find something else that was different in that month or in that day because I didn't hear it the time before, you know. So that's where that all started from. And I've been doing messages for 20 years so I have so many of them. I mean, so many, so there's so many of them that are so old. And so, I mean, they're, but I've been doing it for years and years and years. Of course, you know, I've been a speaker for 25 years too. I started out as a speaker, you know, speaking in the, in the Q and a fashion as a bodybuilder, you know, going into gyms and, you know, that purpose like asking, Hey, you know, what type of protein should I have? What protein powder? Hey, how do you build your biceps? Hey, how did your back get so big? Whatever it was, it was Q and a session. So, you know, I learned to speak, you know, initially through Q and a, and then of course, from there, it became, you know, speaking as an educator, and then from there, it was education, inspiration, uh, and, and uh, motivation. And then it was, you know, trying to uh, speak to create value, to be able to, you know, move the hearts and, and help people uh, have introspection, to be able to kind of see, hey, I need to make that change, you know, that, that I can be better, I can improve. And so, you know, that takes a lot of time and energy and, 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 and you know, and evolve, you know, and, and evolving as a person to be able to do that. So that's, you know. But those messages where it started from, those proverbs. And so now that's why I do things like the thoughts of the day, just to kind of help anybody. That, you know, some of them get a lot of views, some of them don't. I don't even check. I don't even care. But there's probably a way that they could get more views for sure. But, you know, I, I just, it's just something I do uh, daily. See, I love that. To me, the views, if I help one person or someone, one per, I'm happy. And I did an episode or a, I did someone else's podcast on my story. And I was like, if I have one person reach out to me and like thanked me for sharing, I'm happy. And I got that message and I felt, it's felt so much to me. So that's why like, when I see those messages, I'm like, I need to see it. And I was like, today I was like, okay, where's his thought of the day? I'm like, well, I'm yeah. like mentally prepared for it because I love those kind of contents. It's better yeah. than the stuff that like the drama and stuff you see on social media, but those it gets you thinking, gets you going. And I was telling um, a coworker since I do remote and I was like, I have this something that you need to watch. And I showed it because it was such a message that anyone can utilize. So I love them when you do them. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That makes me happy because again, I, I haven't really gotten an awful lot of feedback on it. I mean, some of, the, some of my friends are like, yeah, I love those, you know, but not too many people have, have said, Hey, you know, and I was going to ask you, how did you find me? You know, so that obviously it's probably through that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty cool, and, and and I love that you know about dodgeball. Nobody knows. I don't even talk about that barely, but you, I, I'm so surprised you know about that. It's so great. I was a huge GSN GSN fan, and so that was on my show or on my TV all the time. And when it came on, and now GSN isn't that great, but um, they just need to show the reruns and stuff. And actually, I think there was a app that actually played extreme dodgeball on it and that got me like 
it's back. What? What's going on? And I'm thinking they could bring the show back and he would still love it. I mean, oh, they, they would. It was it was a great show. It was fun. It's funny because I was running a kid's camp during that time. And so, it was, you know, it was it was just a, a kid's camp and these kids were younger, but they were like they, they were watching the show. You know, they had watched the show because it was released. You know, this is when I went back for the second season. They had already watched the first season during that time. We were shooting the second season. And so these, these kids were like, Mountain, <laughs> I, I don't understand why you're trying to move out of the way of the ball. Why don't you just catch the ball? Like, so they're giving me tips on how to play dodgeball. I'm like, oh, you know what? You're right. Probably should be trying to catch the ball rather than move out of the way of it. You know, because I'm not, I'm too big. Yeah. <laughs> I can't move that fast. You know what I mean? So I just, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I got to keep my eye on the ball and catch the ball. And so, the, you know, you'll probably see in season two that I tried to catch the ball more. It didn't always work in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> that was from tips from the kids. Blame the kids. That's uh, their fault. <laughs> yeah. Cause sometimes they're like, oh, Mountain, I guess I gotta tell you, you sucked last week. You just suck. And I'm like, they, they, you know, that's not how kids are. They just tell you how it is. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's I, true. I did. I, I, I failed. <laughs> I'm not, not always going to do 100%, you know? And I used to tell them, listen, you know, I tell my girls this now, too. I said, listen, you're, you're, you're never losing. You're always just learning to win. As long as you're playing, you're learning to win. You know? yep. You're never losing, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's a good, good, good lesson. I used to teach them that, teach my daughters that. And it's, and, you know, again, we, but you got to play. You got to play. Yep. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish both personally and professionally in the next few years? You know, I mean, I love to see people transform. I love to see people make progress and change. And that's been my goal is to really, you know, help people live a more extraordinary life. You know, my tagline for my business is live an extraordinary life now. And the key word there is really now. Because what you do right now in this moment, what you do today, uh, it can change your tomorrow. You know, and we can make a decision at any given point to be able to have better progress. We're, we're accumulation of all of our choices. So we just have to realize what it is that we want. What is it that we want? And let our choices, you know, lead us toward that. Because every choice will move you forward or it'll move you backwards. It's that simple. You know, so for me, I want to continue to help people make progress and change, whether it's, you know, in our Project 42 program uh, or even in our speaking, uh, our, our speaking uh, courses, um, you know, the Academy for Speaking. I think that that's really powerful because I, I really do realize in doing our goal attainment within Project 42, where we help people become speakers or write their book, uh, that there's everybody out there seems to want to write a book. Everybody out there has something to say. And so because of that, I realized, you know what? I never thought about it, but for me, one of the times after bodybuilding that really truly was felt alive was when I was out there just sharing positive messages, message, trying to help, you know, spread love or, you know, positivity or, you know, or just some value, give people some value from my lessons I've learned and help share it with them and maybe encourage them to be better or whatever. So for me, I think, you know, the Speakers Academy is a really big thing. Um, I speak all over the world. And so that's pretty much what I do. And again, doing podcasts like this and things like that, I do, I'm doing it all the time. And so, you know, what I really probably do need to do is, is I, a lot of times I go to these events all by myself and my wife's like, you know what, you probably need to start taking somebody with you so they can videotape you and, you know, maybe start putting it on social media because I don't use social media to my advantage (laughs) and uh, I probably need to. So that's something that we've talked about for this year. I'll start probably videotaping some of the segments that I do out and about when, and uh, I have a couple of big ones coming up here and just start putting little clips of that stuff out too, you know, um, because listen, I guess the, the place everybody sees you nowadays is social media. That's where you saw me, you know, yep. and you never know who's listening. You never know who's, you know, who might impact. And so again, you know, the bottom line is we all have, you know, an opportunity to not only change our lives, but when we 
when we're better, we're going to be better for everybody else around us. And so, you know, we should work on ourselves every single day to be better, find a way to be better and, you know, and monitor. I think they listen, you know, the area you want to be better in, then put your focus there and, and, and find ways to improve in those areas. Don't, you know, we, we get too scattered. We find, you know, we all, we all have a thousand things to do, but what is the most important thing that needs to be done? You know? And a lot of times in my, in my seminars, I talk about people saying, you know, what are the what are the three things that if you did them this week and you actually completed them this week would make it be the most productive week that you've ever had? What are those three things? And sometimes it takes a lot of contemplation and thinking to be able to figure out what those three things, three things are. But you'll never know what they are unless you know what your goal is or what you want yeah. and where you want to head. You know what I mean? So finding your purpose, finding your goal, that's important. And then, and then once you have that, you don't, you, you know, you, you, you don't have to revisit every day. You just have to say, I know what my next step is because these are my vital priorities that move me toward it. And it's just a little bit more, a little bit more every day. You just got to be better than you were yesterday. I call that an athlete's mindset. An athlete's mindset is I have to find a way to be better today than I was yesterday. And everybody has it. You don't have to have ever have been an athlete to have it. Yep. You just have to be able to know that I can implement it and I can grow. You know, the only time we truly feel alive is when we are growing. And that's the only time we feel fulfilled. So, you know, when you have these people that are depressed and that are low and, you know, it's because they've fallen into this trap of, 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 of you know, being over-indated with all the confusing things that are out there, their attention being pulled everywhere, and they don't have their attention on one thing that gives them purpose. You know, so going back to finding what it is that does help you be fulfilled is key. And for me, I understand there's so many people out there that want to be speakers, and they want to probably get their story out of them because that's when they started feeling alive and fulfilled. So I want to be able to help as many people, you know, share their story, show them how to share their story so that it is impactful. So that it does create and lend value. And so that, you know, the Speakers Academy, I think is, is, is going to be huge. And uh, we've just started that, but I, I really feel like that's going to be the, the next big thing for us. You kind of mentioned a few things, but my final question I want to ask you, for someone that's listening to your story based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Great question. Uh, listen, I think that you know people get too upset and uh, mad that things aren't, don't go their way, you know, and I feel like, you know, you literally do need to see every obstacle, every challenge as an opportunity because that's our learning ground. And so, you know, I, back when I was 24 years old, I broke my back and everybody told me I would never lift weights again. They thought I was going to be paralyzed because they wanted to put two rod, rods down my spine because I had two compressions and, and uh, herniations. And, and so the, the, there was so much pressure on the, the nerve endings that they thought I couldn't even, I, was, I wouldn't be able to walk. And when I stood up to walk, the pressure of gravity would, would paralyze me. I couldn't walk for six weeks. And of course, during that time, you know, I could not see any of the good in any of that. So I, I really was like, how in the heck did this happen? And, you know, everybody told me I'd never lift weights again. I had a good run and just, you know, it was, it was over for me. And so long story short, you know, I mean, I, I, that was probably one of the lowest parts of my life. I mean, I realized, you know, I, I was laying on the floor in my living room, you know, because I, I couldn't take the doctors telling me, you know, anymore that I couldn't, I wasn't going to lift weights again and tell what I couldn't do and what I wasn't capable of. And, and so I left laid on my living room floor, but I just remember the pain was so intense. So, I mean, literally it was, it was, I was, I couldn't even move my head like, like this. Wow. I was locked up so much that it hurt to breathe. It felt like I was getting stabbed every time I took a breath. And then at nighttime, it just seemed like that pain was even worse and I couldn't sleep. And I'm just laying there in just such intense pain. And, you know, probably three weeks in, you know, I start 
you know, thinking maybe I'm never going to walk again. Maybe the doctors are right. Maybe I will never lift weights again. And, and I remember just laying there, you know, in, in tears, just rolling out of my eyes into my ears, some way flat on my back and just crying. And, and it's like, man, you know, and then I just realized, man, I can't keep laying here feeling sorry for myself, you know, and, and nobody came visit me. Nobody cared. Nobody even contacted me. You know, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I said, you know what? I can't cry enough. I can't be sad enough. I can't be upset enough to change what's happened here. I just got to find another way to get out of this. So I, the first thing I had to do was change my mind. And then, and then, you know, everything changed after that. I, I went back to school to get my degree. Uh, I started well around health and fitness and business. I never worked for anybody else ever another day in my life. I always only worked for myself. Uh, I literally started set, started setting goal after goal. That's when I created the template, you know, that that, that, that for goal attainment with purpose, purpose, new behavior, commitment, responsibility, all that. I put that into place, started applying it to my clients, uh, you know, started building my business, you know. Uh, you know, and then a year later, you know, again, with consistency, having a plan, trying to rehab, I, I, I won the collegiate nationals one year later. You know, so again, which was, I mean, literally unbelievable. Truthfully, when I look back, I'm like, man, I don't know, you know how I did that. But I was so driven, so driven. And so, you know, when I look back, that was a turning point in my life. You know, it was, it was, it was a pinnacle part of my life that changed everything for me. And even though you can't see the positive and the negative that's happening at that moment, I think that what we have to do is we have to, have to start seeing the positive in it and understand that there's a learning. There's learning in all of it. Uh, and that we have to look at what the positive is and what that learning is. Even if we don't like it, we need to learn some lessons, some way, shape, or form, and then uh, apply those things to our lives and then grow and move forward. You know, just like in training. Listen, a muscle does not grow unless you create some trauma to it, unless yep. you fully contract it, okay? Because, again, so when we, when we in our lives, when we have full contraction, you know, something didn't, something good didn't happen, you know, but again, a muscle only grows when you fully and, and gets stimulated when you fully contract it, when you cause trauma to it, and then you let it rest and recover and then it grows. And it's the same thing in life. Okay. All those little traumas, those, those, those challenges, those obstacles, those are, we, we got to start looking at them differently and, and, and put a smile on your face and say, okay, you know, let me embrace this challenge and move toward yep. it. Find a way over it, around it, under it. This is my learning ground. I'm going to learn something here. Let me find what it is and and, and move forward and grow. You know, and so that way, they, those challenges don't knock you off your horse. They don't they don't swipe you the carpet out from underneath you. You start realizing that there's something here, and I need to look for it, whatever it is, and I need to grow from it. Well, Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate you having me. and It's been a pleasure talking with you. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goal? You decide.